The afternoon meditation's not the easiest. We feel sleepy and it gets hot. Uh, but the subject matter has some further advantage for us in considering holiness. And I've t in this myself, for my own prayer, I joined two of Cardinal Newman's sermons together, and uh, half each, so that uh, you, there are two lessons on very much the same point. And some of the retreatants who were here last week or the week before, who were computer experts, came to my room afterwards and said the whole thing was entirely based on the new computer techniques. And so therefore I have to call uh, this tape when it comes out. It's called GIGO, which means garbage in, garbage out. I hope that helps you. Um, now, I must thank you for the silence. You don't keep silence for me, but it's very impressive for a man of my experience giving retreats. Whenever I come here, I'm astonished to find how seriously you take the retreat and how much you seem to pray. And that, after all, is what we're here for. Now, Cardinal Newman starts off with a text, if you know this, happy are you if you act upon it. You'll find that text in John 13, 17. It's the washing of the feet at the Last Supper. Our Lord has just washed the feet of the disciples, and then he sits down, uh, puts back uh, on his shoes again and clothes, and after he had washed their feet, he put his cloak back on and reclined at table once more. He said to them, do you understand what I did just for you? You addressed me as teacher and Lord, and fittingly enough, for that is what I am. But if I washed your feet, I who am teacher and Lord, then you must wash each other's feet. What I just did was to give you an example, as I have done, so you must do. I solemnly assure you, no slave is greater than his master, no messenger outranks the one who sent him. Once you know all these things, blessed you will be if you put them into practice. Now, Cardinal Newman, having said that, then goes on with this one little paragraph, which to me made such sense, and you and I would totally agree with it. Newman says, every age thinks it knows more than ever before, and our age is not boasting when it claims to know more than earlier ages about God, about science, in astronomy, space, discovery, even scripture study. We are very well informed, but knowledge is nothing compared to doing. We tend to take knowledge for granted and turn what is unimportant into the chief end of religion. You see, we're getting back again to that same idea that on a retreat that you come here to find out more facts and to know that reading and getting knowledge, does that do you any good? And Newman is very clear in this particular passage where our Lord said, once you know all these things, blessed are you if you put them into practice. Newman points out that a lot of people who know the Bible, they love the language, they know the history, they've been to the Middle East, but they don't do anything about it. It's just knowledge. The, the, the Bible has to be imitated. And so too, Cardinal Newman mentions a person 
who, instead of learning humility, goes around proclaiming what a great sinner he is. And then he sort of, having proclaimed that he's a great sinner, then he gets the credit among the good for being so humble, when in fact he's as conceited as you make him. Because in fact he's, he's getting credit for being humble instead of actually being humble. So here we've got a very interesting scene where our Lord is with the Twelve, because it is just before Judas betrayed our Lord and just before St. Peter denied our Lord in the same chapter. And our Lord says, now you know this thing. He said it to them hundreds of times before. They all knew what he was doing, washing their feet. And yet the strange thing is they didn't change them. They had the knowledge, but our Lord wanted them to transfer quickly to actually doing something. In the case of Judas, this was the very last moment Judas had. I'm quite sure that Judas himself um, is saved. I have terrible rows with Father Calb and Mankato about this. I, we will only know when we die, and we'll see which one of us will be next to Judas. <laughs> because Judas was an extraordinary character. He, after our Lord had been led away to be crucified, Judas made a perfect confession. He rushed back to his enemies while sitting there and rushed in and said, I've sinned in betraying innocent blood. He then threw back all the money he made restitution. Any one of us confessing like he did would get absolution at once. The only sad thing was he didn't know that our Lord loved him so much. So he went mad, I can quite see. Here in this chapter, he could have stopped the passion. When our Lord sat down, and said, uh, and they asked, who is going to betray you? Judas, even then, could have stopped, and he would have been a saint. Unfortunately, at that moment, he didn't. Half an hour later, when our Lord had been led away, then Judas saw the thing truly. It's a most sad situation about poor Judas. I'm always sorry for him because he's a thief, and I always think thieves are mainly thieves because they're hooked on something. He may have been taking drugs. If he, would, if he lived in our century, he would have been stealing out of the common purse for drugs or cigarettes or whatever it is we need. You always feel sorry for thieves, especially good people who steal, because it's some habit they've got, like alcoholism or something, that, that they have to have that. So I feel enormous sympathy for Judas myself, and I hope I sit next to him in heaven because he has the money bags, I hope. <laughs> But it's very interesting with Judas, that was his last chance and he didn't take it. Peter was even more sick, I think, because poor St. Peter, just in the end of the same chapter, Peter said, Lord, Simon Peter said to him, where do you mean to go? Jesus answered, I am going where you cannot follow me now. Later on, you shall come after me. Lord, Peter said to him, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. You will lay down your life for me, will you? Jesus answered, I tell you truly, the cock will not crow before you have three times disowned me. Now there was Peter, totally sincere, nothing wrong with him. He heard our Lord speaking. If you know these things, do them. And yet Peter again was not in the right frame of mind. He hadn't got it. What, what was Peter's fault? Peter's fault was, at that moment, he would have died for our Lord. He had never taken into account what it would be like to be in a hostile crowd. 
as Judas, as the Cardinal Newman points out. It's easy for you and me to, in a chapel to pray and say this and that, and I'm pro-life. Not so easy to be pro-life when you're with people who think you're wrong or where it brings discredit to you. So Peter just made a universal statement of generosity. He just didn't know what would happen when that girl laughed at him. All at once he changed completely. He was scared of her. It's an extraordinary how our Lord had these two collapses of two of the twelve um, at that very scene. So Cardinal Newman's first point to us is where our Lord himself was there that knowledge by itself is not enough. To know our Lord was the Son of God, to know the, all the good things he'd done, it's no good unless you do something. And that's the main lesson that Cardinal Newman wants to point out. He called his sermon on that occasion pro, um, knowledge of God's will without obedience. I can know God's holy will, but if I don't obey it, then I'm as bad as though I didn't know it. In fact, I'm worse. So you might take that scene because of Judas and Peter. P Peter made a fool of himself in a way, and yet he was so sincere, but he was relying just on words. Anyone can say, I'll lay down my life for you, but the question is, will you do it? And then Newman goes on to a most marvelous thing. What's the solution for us to this? Because it is very worrying. We don't know, you see. For example, directly after that scene, our Lord said, watch and pray. Now, you and I often hear those words, watch and pray, and we often put them together. We say them as though they were the same thing. But Cardinal Newman, typically, writing in the very beginning of his life, said, first of all, you've got to watch, and then you've got to pray. That's the only way you can be safe if you want to do God's holy will. They're two separate acts. And he mentions things like bad friends, dangerous company, following the fashion, cowardice in a hostile crowd, especially the last one. If you're not watching, you're done. St. Thomas More, who was so totally balanced, Thomas More, so Erasmus tells us, if he had a friend or friends who were leading a bad life, he never had a row with them, he never acted violently, but he got rid of them. He gradually shed their friendship because he could not afford to be caught up in a gang. And I often feel myself that we used to be so careful in the old days, you got to watch, to see the bad company, a, a, a group of friends, say, who cheat at games or at business, people who drink too much and meet this every evening for, uh, for, uh, to have drinks, that all of a sudden, in a retreat, you realize with all the knowledge, you're being caught. And that is especially true about a hostile audience defending the truth in front of people who don't like it. And we can turn out just like St. Peter if we don't make allowances. Cardinal Newman has a wonderful passage about watching, which I wrote out years ago for myself because it seemed to me so totally like what I do in life. And I hope you'll like it too. Newman says about watching, we are not simply to believe but to watch, not simply to love but to watch, not simply to obey but to watch, to watch for what? For a great event, Christ's coming. What is watching? Do you know the feeling in matters of this life 
of expecting a friend, expecting him to come, and he delays. God, not O'Hare Airport, I've done that many, many times, when he doesn't come off the right flight. And then you're looking at every face to see where is he, where the hell's he got to? Do you know what it is to be in unpleasant company and to wish for the time to pass away and the hour to strike when you may be at liberty? I've done that in many board meetings where you're simply longing for the chairman to shut up. Do you know what it is to be in anxiety lest something happen which may happen or may not? To be in suspense about some important event which makes your heart beat when you are reminded of it and of which you think first thing in the morning. Many of us have got that. The first thing you think about in the morning and because your day is clouded by something that you're worrying about. Do you know what it is to have a friend in a distant country to expect news of him and to wonder from day to day what he is doing now and whether he is well? Do you know what it is so to live upon a person who is present with you that your eyes follow him about, that you read his soul, that you see all its changes in his countenance, that you anticipate his wishes, that you smile in his smile and are sad in his sadness and are downcast when he is vexed and rejoice in his success. To watch for Christ is a feeling such as these. As far as feelings of this world are fit to shadow out those of another. So when we say watch and pray, the only hope we've got to avoid the trouble of St. Peter and of Judas is to be on the alert, especially bad company, especially places where I tend to drink too much or I tend to tell blue jokes or whatever it is, and on to be on the lookout all the time. And then you pray for strength for the next step. You don't pray for the future. You pray that in this position, if Peter had done that, instead of pouring out his pride, if Peter had really prayed, he would never have failed our Lord at the crisis. So that's the first sermon that Cardinal Newman gives us, where, where to know is not, if you don't obey, knowledge is useless. The second one he gives us, which is very striking, and this is where Gigo comes in and garbage in, garbage out, is a sermon which he pre preached called Promising Without Doing. It's the same theme. And here you've got the text in St. Matthew. Matthew 21, 28 to 30. And it, we all know this because we've all been sons once and we probably most of us are fathers now. Our Lord said, what do you think about this? Now he puts that question to you and I find in prayer I've got to go away and sit down and say, what do I think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, my boy, go and work in the vineyard today. I will, sir, the boy replied, but he never went. The father came to the second and said the same. I will not go, he replied, but afterwards changed his mind and went. Which of these two did what his father wished? Now, you and I have to say, I think, without any doubt, the one who actually did it. Not, he said he wouldn't, but the man who did the thing loved his father, and the chap who didn't do it didn't love his father. So, and in that text, it, it's worth reading the whole thing from Matthew, because it's got 
It's got another part to it too. Yes, our Lord said, they said to him the second. Jesus said to them, let me make it clear that tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. When John came preaching a way of holiness, you put no faith in him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe in him. Yet even when you saw that, you did not repent and believe. So the Pharisees, when they went out to hear John in the desert, John rebuked them. They only came there because they were afraid, but they didn't accept the chance of holiness that was offered. Whereas the tax gatherers, I have to put them in in this retreat specially, and the prostitutes, I needn't mention them, that um, they actually, seeing John the Baptist, believed and were saved. Whereas the holy men, just with all their knowledge, didn't do it. Now, Newman says about that boy, it's, that's why I liked and put it to, ga to game with the other ones, because the first boy who said yes and didn't go, he never thought afterwards, I'm letting my father down. He never thought at all. He said yes and then forgot completely. His frame of mind was interest in himself. We are always doing this too, and that's why I think it's so interesting to see that there's a boy who said yes, empty words, and then without any regrets, no examining his conscience, immediately went off having said yes and was typical. You have fr friends that you meet that, where they leave things on the floor, where they don't tidy up after something, you say that's typical of him. His frame of mind is totally indifferent uh, to the care of others. When we talk about a frame of mind, it's very important. So therefore we see in that boy, now the other boy said no, and then he changed his mind. So only the second boy actually achieved something. And my friends, from the computer work world, I must admit I know nothing about computers and don't want to, uh, but when they came and told me about this, they said to me, Father, do you realize that computers work exactly on this story? And I said, oh, do they? And so one man said to me, and I'm quoting him, I wish I knew his name, I'd give him a commercial. Uh, because it, he said, do you realize that in a computer, however fast it goes, only one thing is done at any given second? And that therefore, it only goes fast and fast, but it's only the present one step. It's only one, every second, one figure is re reproduced. And then he said, secondly, uh, that he was making little computers, which you or I, no doubt, will be using ourselves in a year or two. He's making them, and he says that on his computer, most computers have a key that says, executes. And, and he doesn't like that. And he put on, instead of execute, do it. And he said, he came to me after my conference and said, Father, now I've heard your talk. I feel it's a real Christian message. I'm not going to change it. I'm going to put do it. When you press that thing, you either set the whole damn thing moving or you scrub the whole thing out. But the great thing is, do it. You've got to press that button and the whole thing starts. So he saw here and then he said, garbage in, garbage out. If you just feed into the computer garbage, garbage comes out. Now the elder boy's re reaction was garbage. He didn't do anything. 
He was so wrapped up in himself that he just said, I'll go, and didn't go. So if you fed his action into the computer, it would be spewed out again almost at once. The younger man's saying no and then doing it, that would be recorded forever in, in the computer. It was something achieved. And it's from that this uh, Cardinal Newman moves to this extraordinary statement, which is very, very profitable, I find. Cardinal Newman says, nothing but past acts are a voucher for the future. That would take you a lot of prayer to realize that when they want to plan in a computer or anywhere else, it's the things that a man has done before that forms the program. The stuff he never did, the words he used that had no effect, they don't get in. It's what he actually um, has done tells you what he can do. There's a Shakespearean play being discovered recently in London. I haven't heard the result, uh, but they found an original play of Shakespeare's, and all the experts of the world have come down to try and check whether it's by Shakespeare entirely or not by computers. I don't know how the hell they're going to do it, but they are. They're going to apparently record all the H's and I's and commas of the manuscript, and then eventually they'll find out whether the whole thing was done by one man or several men, just because the commas will all be made the same by one hand. Then they're going to be able to tell at least whether the play was actually Shakespeare's handwriting, or whether it, he put certain words in, or whether it was done by a scribe, and then they could find out who the scribes were. Interestingly enough, the play is a play on St. Thomas More. Uh, Shakespeare had a great love for Thomas More, who uh, lived uh, 50 years before him, and died before 50 years before him, but Shakespeare, all the world's a stage, and many of his speeches were, were based on More, and of course More appeared in Henry VIII. So it may well be that we will eventually have a complete play of Shakespeare's on the life of the great saints. But what's interesting is they're using a computer because every comma that was made is, can be fed into the machine. So Cardinal Newman says, nothing but past acts are the voucher for the future. I would have a man disbelieve he can do one jot or tittle beyond what he has already done. Refrain from borrowing aught on the hope of the future. Past sacrifices, past labors, past victories over yourself, these are the tokens of the future in store for you. Deeds, not words, and wishes must be the watchword. Men walk the road to hell while all the while looking back lovingly at heaven. So therefore, what is so interesting is that if I want to know what to do, God wants for me in the future, I must look back to what I've done. And that's why I feel so thrilled when you arrived for the retreat yesterday. After all, as you drove up, for good or ill, that's fed into the computer and it's programmed. It's something you've done on which planners, God himself, can rely when he go, takes the next step. Whereas the elder boy, although he said yes, he had done nothing, you couldn't rely on him, it wouldn't be worth putting his yes into the computer. 
So he's garbage in and garbage out. And everything I manage to do, that is the only way I'm going to get a frame of mind. And it is a very th thrilling thing, really, to, uh, to learn this. So when Cardinal Newman says, one step enough for me, each step I actually take, that has been achieved. And, if need be, I can do it again. And so it is that our frame of mind is built up of what we've done in the past. I don't think we ought to be too humble. I left home at 18 uh, for, to be a Jesuit. Now, I don't know whether the Holy Ghost inspired me. I may have had special lights. I didn't see them, I must admit. But all I know is I freely left home. Now at 72, I say to our Lord quite clearly, now don't forget that. You can't cancel it. Because I did do one thing right. Now the same with you on retreat. You can say to God, I came. And next year, when they ask you, will you form one of the companies, then your great choice will come again. I can either say yes, and then it's put in the computer, and then it will, your program will be sound. Or you don't come and then it's gone, the chance is gone. So therefore, when I look back over my conscience, and you do, and we all have great misgivings and sadnesses about how we failed, I don't think it's entirely fair to make ourselves always out to be swine. We are pretty filthy, I admit, but on the other hand, uh, th there is something to be said for saying occasionally, well, I did try that. And our Lord will know that. He never, his computer will never forget any common or thing that I've done. Where I, where, with grace or without it, where I try to make the right choice. And so I think that uh, this garbage in and garbage out is really quite a useful um, title for Newman's two sermons. Newman therefore stresses to you and me that knowing is not going to do anything unless I act on it. That sheer knowledge, the knowledge of the Bible, etc., etc., big words about loving God, all those things have no meaning they can't be put into the computer until you've actually done them. And so therefore, for you and me, I should always judge myself on what I did. If I was bloody-minded and did it, I, I splendid it, then it'll go into the computer, bloody-minded, but done. I did, because I didn't want to do it, or because I took my wife out, or went and got the groceries, or whatever you have to do, uh, if, if, if I was unwillingly went, doesn't matter, I went. Whereas on the other hand, big talk and saying how much you love a person, etc., that is no good unless something is done about it. And so we could end on that sort of note. St. James is very good about that, about the holy faith. St. James um, says in, about the holy faith, and you could look him up because we don't often quote his letter, it's marvellous. James says, my brothers... What good is it to profess faith without practicing it? The difference between professing that I'm a Catholic and practicing I'm a Catholic. And how many of us, unfortunately, often forget that, and so we just, we are nominal. St. James also says just afterwards, and very powerful, in, they're both in chapter 2, be assured then that faith without works is as dead as a body without breath that if I don't do good works, and this was the point, of course, that Luther fell foul of the church, and indeed they turfed St. James's letter out of the Bible. Luther said it was a letter of hay. But what they, what they didn't like is 
was the idea that by faith alone I can be saved. You can't. Faith is all important, but as James said so clearly, my brothers, what good is it to profess faith without practicing? And be assured then that faith without works is as dead as a body without breath. So that gives us a very um, helpful line to take um, in our retreat. Every minute I keep silence, every effort I make during the day to practice, to pray, that for all eternity will be to my credit. And so then we'll be like the boy, maybe, who didn't want to go, but went. One boy changed his mind, uh, had second thoughts. The other boy had no thoughts. He said yes, and the thoughts were entirely, his thoughts were entirely pointless. They were simply a sort of mannerism to please his father, but the boy himself didn't intend uh, to, do, to go anymore. <laughs>